0: She had got the cancer
1: you have made my
0: life so wonderful <laughs> take that with you too okay i know that you love me your mother can't be with you anymore i can't believe it it's been a decade since you've been gone mama I miss you i miss sitting with you Hello, my fellow dead mommers. I'm very sorry I introduced that phrase, and I'll never say it again, unless we like it, then maybe that's what I call us. It's been a second since I've released a new episode, and to be honest, I was feeling like there was so much collective grief and suffering going on in the world that I felt like it was right to put a pause on this topic for a second. I felt like I needed to be quiet and listen and hold some space for what's going on. However, I'm back with a really special episode with Marissa Renee Lee, who frankly, I was intimidated to speak with because I was blown away by her book, Grief is Love, and the fact that she was an appointee in the Obama White House. So no big deal, Marissa. When I met her on Zoom, though, I immediately knew she was a real one. Our conversation flowed with such ease, and she was very patient through some technical issues, including my laptop freezing, so props to Marissa for that. She shared some amazing resources and tips that are especially useful around the holidays and the scramble of the year end, so I'll be sharing those on Instagram with you all. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Marissa before we get into our conversation. Here we go. Marissa Renee Lee is a called upon grief advocate, entrepreneur, and bestselling author of Grief is Love, Living with Loss. Deemed, quote, the friend we all wish we had in times of need, end quote. Marissa is able to utilize research-based advice and wisdom to help others navigate the complicated and dark emotions we face when experiencing loss, offering unique insights for women and black communities. In addition to our work in the grief space, Lee is a former appointee in the Obama White House and CEO of Beacon Advisors, a mission-driven consulting firm primarily based on racial equity. She is a rabble-rouser of social healing, former managing director of My Brother's Keeper Alliance, co-founder of the digital platform Supportal, and the founder of The Pink Agenda, a national organization dedicated to raising money for breast cancer care, research, and awareness. Lee also regularly contributes to The Atlantic, Glamour, Vogue, MSNBC, and CNN, and serves as an expert for Ritual's Wellbeing app. She is a Harvard graduate and an avid home cook. Marissa lives in upstate New York with her husband, Matt, and their son, Bennett, and their dog, Sadie. Enjoy the episode and share with a friend who may need it. Welcome to Hello, My Mom is Dead. Today, I have Marissa Renee Lee on the pod. And if you've heard her bio, you are probably equally impressed and blown away by what Marissa has done. And I'm thrilled to have her. So welcome, Marissa. Thank you for having me. You are even showing up when you are not feeling well. You (laughs) have a toddler. So props to you.
1: Well, thank you. I'm just just trying to survive out here. Uh, and excited to chat with you. So, we're going to we're going to make it work today.
0: We are. I start off every podcast episode by reading the obit of the guest's mom. We just jump right into it and then we'll get to chatting. So, if you're okay, I will read Lisa's obituary. Go for it. Okay, great. Lisa May Lee died on Thursday, February 28, 2008, at her home in Wappingers Falls, surrounded by her loving family at the age of 49. One of six children, Lisa was born in Beacon on February 18, 1959, to Reuben and Edna May. Lisa is predeceased by her mother and her father, who survives in Puerto Rico. On November 1st, 1980, at the United Methodist Church in Fishkill, New York, she married Samuel Joseph Lee, her faithful and loving husband of more than 27 years. The couple had two children, Marissa, Renee, and Heather Ann. Lisa was employed at IBM in East Fishkill for 14 years before being disabled by multiple sclerosis in 1996. In May 2005, Lisa was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic breast cancer. As a result of the breast cancer and her compromised immunity, Lisa courageously fought tuberculosis, pneumonia, severe bone cancer, and a variety of other infectious diseases. Lisa consistently lived first and foremost for others, and her love, strength, compassion, and optimism will not soon be forgotten. In addition to her husband Samuel, Lisa is survived by her two daughters— Marisa R- Renee Lee of New York City and Heather Ann Lee of Poughkeepsie, New York. Additionally, she is also survived by her siblings Curtis of Beacon, New York, Crystal of Greensboro, North Carolina, Clarine of Atlanta, Marco, also of Atlanta, as well as a number of nieces, nephews, and loving and supportive friends. She was predeceased by her brother Ruben. And then we have some calling hours in Fishco, New York and some information of the services. In lieu of flowers, before her passing, Lisa requested that donations be made in her honor to Saving Second Base, the breast cancer organization, which was co-founded by her daughter, Marisa. To, I'm getting choked up. <laughs> I heard Marisa to raise funds and awareness about breast cancer among young professionals. Donations can be made. And then we have the website, which is savingsecondbase.org and some mailing instructions. Um yeah, I I as you see can I got a little choked up reading that and she is not even my mother but um I
1: know it's so crazy it's also like it was kind of funny um when you reached out to ask for it thinking about how long ago it was it doesn't exist online anymore Mm. you know like my assistant was trying to find it for you independent of me and she was like you know there's this one site where i can pay money to get scanned pages of the hard copy of the local paper and i was like oh my god yeah 2008 it was just a completely different era so yeah i actually had to go i i wrote that and so i had to go digging through my inbox uh to find a copy to send to you which was just Crazy to think about how much time has passed.
0: There's nothing like uh starting your what is it, Tuesday morning by someone you just met reading your mom's obituary while you're sick in bed. I do
1: it all. I do all the <laughs> things. I like
0: <laughs> Thank you for, for listening to that. I get a really good sense of who Lisa was reading that. So you did an excellent job because it is so hard to distill the complexity of someone's life into these one pagers
1: yeah it's an impossible but really important exercise
0: hearing it back now are there things that you feel that aren't captured about her
1: i would say i would say no for the most part like the writer in me is confident that I would make some tweaks, even just yeah. like <laughs> here or there. You know what I mean? Like I, like I know I would do the same thing if I could go back and make edits to "Grief is Love" right now. You know, like that's just that's just how my writer brain at least works. But I do think it captured the essence of who she was. I mean, the one thing that I often think about that I just didn't really have great insight into, even though I lived with my parents until I graduated from high school and then lived with them again after college and was around helping to take care of her like I don't feel like I ever got great insight into just how much she suffered honestly
0: mm-hmm.
1: she was always honest when she was in a lot of pain but she never she never complained and i think i think because of the way parent child relationships are structured we as children, don't often think about spending a lot of time asking our parents, like, what's really going on with them, Mm -hmm. you know, because they are the ones taking care of us, or at least that's the way it was in my house, Mm -hmm. literally until my mom died. Um, You know, she was worrying about how I was going to celebrate my birthday, or if I was eating enough, and you know, little things like that. So yeah, I, I don't feel like I ever got a real sense for how hard her life probably was.
0: Do you think now being a mother yourself, and that was a long, complex journey, which we'll get into, but do you think that because you're a mother now, you're able to look at your own in a different way?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I wrote a piece for Elle earlier this year when I was getting ready to turn 40, because for me, my 40s, I'm not someone who's like afraid of getting older. You know, it's nothing like that. It was more. This idea that I'm entering into the decade that she didn't make it out of mm-hmm. and having a better understanding for just how young she was and for how much I didn't get to know her because she passed when I was so young and just kind of the, the limitlessness of the grief you know, as I enter into this next chapter of life, you know, as a mom, moving back to the area where I grew up, changes in my career, et cetera. Like there's so many things that I would love to ask her about that I couldn't even conceive of almost 16 years ago, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it it has absolutely changed the way I think about my relationship with her.
0: Your book, Grief is Love. I like... Okay there is it's just covered <laughs> in um tabs. I encourage everyone to get a copy of this book. If you can't, I will get you a copy of this book because <laughs> it is by far one of the most beautiful pieces on grief. I have read it several times now. Every passage could be a pull quote. Um Aww, thank you. I really want to start with this line, because I think it summarizes the book quite well. You say, her commitment to joy is my inheritance. Like, what a line. And <laughs> Thank you. People can read the book, but can you elaborate on that line?
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. I was actually thinking about that today. My mom was really skilled at what I call holding both you know, the world right now, and I think this this episode is going to come out relatively soon, is just in a really challenging and painful place. You know, there are so many people who are struggling and suffering and afraid and in pain for any number of reasons. And it's Christmas time. Yeah, And she personified the ability to both, you know, accept and be honest about your circumstances and your limitations. Like the woman often for periods of time, like lived in pajamas because, you know, she was at home, she was sick, she was in bed most of the time, but they were like nice, fancy. If you wanted to, you could totally wear them out in public kind of pajamas. You know, so like she could, she could accept the fact that she she was not healthy. There was no point in her you know, putting on a business suit or anything nice like that, but like she was still going to look good and find joy in whatever she could. Um, and our holidays were always so big and beautiful and joyful, no matter what was going on with her and her health. And so for me, the way that she lived You know, not a fake it till you make it toxic positivity kind of joy, but a I still believe, even in this much pain, that the world is a beautiful, magical, special place where we should experience joy. Like that is the best gift that she could have given me as a parent, I think.
0: We were just talking about how your mom was sick for a lot of her life, but. She was always in like beautiful pajamas. She added beauty to the pain.
1: Yes, yes. He, she over and over again found a way to make life lovely no matter what and to celebrate things, to have fun, to celebrate other people. Like every milestone was considered like a gift and something to be joyful around. And I'll never stop being grateful for that.
0: I love that so much. And I got that a lot from my mom. There was an email. So my mom died in 2007. So around the same time period as your mom, but my sisters had printed out some old emails and one of them, (laughs) she was very, very sick, like months away from dying. And she said, to my sister in an email, something about she saw her accountant today went over some practical stuff, but note to self, always leave some budget for vouve Clico. <laughs> I was
1: like, yes, My mom loved. Veuve.
0: our moms had good taste in champagne, but um, you know, sort of the irony of months before the end, realizing, like it's okay to have a little bit of money for something to treat yourself. It doesn't mean be completely negligent with your finances.
1: Yes, of course not. Yeah.
0: What you said about Lisa being able to hold both and is everything right now. Everywhere we turn, it's yelling and screaming and all of that. Do you think that your experience with personal grief has allowed you to look at the global and collective grief that we're seeing now differently or through a new lens?
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, I don't know that I would have thought of it as grief, even if not for my extensive grief experiences and research and education. You know, I think. People are trying to continue to move as though life is normal when really a lot of things are very much upside down and backwards and not okay. And I don't think that this is the way human beings are meant to function. I think it is the way we are required to function in the systems that we live in and live under. And so I think it's just really important for all of us to be mindful of the fact that what is expected of us in a world that is falling apart is not normal. So what do you need in order to be okay? Because we're not going to upend capitalism, white supremacy, violence, war, etc. tomorrow. Like we're just not, you know, I, I would love to, but that's not, that's not what's going to happen. And so while we're still here, what do we need in order to, to really be okay and to be mentally and physically well during hard times, whether it's personal grief, collective grief, global grief, community grief, whatever it is, being mindful about your care in the midst of it is just a really important part of living well, I think.
0: That is so profound. And I'll be thinking about that answer for a long time. What do you personally need in these moments to be okay? I, you know, That's a shifting, evolving thing day to day, but foundationally, what do you need?
1: I would say a few of the consistent things for me have been quiet and it's taken me a long time to get to that place because I am an assumed extrovert, but I actually think I am more of an introvert. And so when things are heavy and hard and challenging, I need more time and space alone to reset and to just fill myself back up. So like quiet is a big part of my routine. I need to write. Like I write almost every day. Wow. And that yeah, I know. I know, but that is that is a big big part of my life and not writing to write an article or for the next book or whatever but just like writing to just get stuff out of my head and to process, plan, etc. I'm a big exercise person. Like I am team Peloton, even when I don't feel good.
0: Me too. My Peloton is just off camera.
1: It's like, it. it is a game changer. And that was actually a grief gift that uh, we purchased after our pregnancy loss. Um, so it's like, a, it, yeah, it's a super important part of my routine. And then I I like to laugh when things have been really bad. My husband has been really good at finding the perfect like bro movie is what I like to call them. You know, like think about like, like The Hangover, like, yep. you know, those types of <laughs> old school, like those movies where like they're so ridiculous, but you can't help but laugh. So, yeah, those are, those are some of my tools.
0: I love that between quiet writing, exercising, and then some bro movies. So well rounded.
1: I love a good bro movie.
0: I, really related to something you wrote in grief is love about exploding in a fit of laughter with your sister at your mom's service, which is something, something that my sister and I did as well. And I think I've told this on a previous episode, but very quickly, my mom had a service in Toronto where she died. And then in ireland about 10 days later we did it all over again at the church in her neighborhood and my late uncle was a priest which in irish catholic culture is like a very big deal and oh yeah his um sermon i guess at her service was talking a lot about how much she loved uh beyonce and dream girls and my sister and i just could not stop laughing it was so bizarre here we were in this church in Ireland, listening to a eulogy about my mom loving Beyonce, and <laughs> like the whole thing was uh just so ridiculous, ridiculous. And like you know when you feel like a shoulder shake of your sister, like trying not to laugh, yes, and then yes, all the the shame that washes over you after it, like it's 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 a mess. But I really liked how you were able to acknowledge that moment. Because I think it is important for people to know that any reaction is valid. Yeah.
1: And I think we forget that feelings are more fluid. Like at some point, we are told you are happy or you are sad. You are calm or you are angry. Like that there's no back and forth between the two. And I will tell you, one of the lessons you learn real quick from these little humans known as babies and toddlers is that there is so much emotional fluidity built into our systems that we just have learned to manage and silence as we get older. And what purpose does that serve?
0: Yeah.
1: That, you know, like, who cares if you laugh a little bit at your mom's funeral? Like, your mom just died. You can do whatever the fuck you want, as far as I'm concerned. Like, as long as it is not harming you in a significant way or harming someone else. And I say significant way because I definitely engaged in some mildly harmful behaviors, especially in the immediate aftermath of losing my mom. And that was just a part of the process.
0: It is so good for you to say that. That may be the pull quote of your episode. (laughs) (laughs) So great. Um, I too engaged in self-sabotage for I would say a lot of my twenties. I'm now sober almost two years now. Oh,
1: wow. Congratulations.
0: Thank you. That's been a huge part for my healing, but it's amazing how much repressed grief resurfaced now that I had no outlet to numb it. So that was very real, but The greatest amends I think I can make to my mother is living soberly, authentically and experiencing the full range of emotions and the human experience, which as your mom instilled in you and you have, it is not a binary experience to walk through our lives, through our days.
1: No, absolutely not. Absolutely
0: not. There's so much I want to talk to you about, and I'm being cognizant of the time, but I first discovered you through a Glamour article, um, and the title was, I lost my mom 12 years ago, and no, I'll never get over it. And I was like, okay, who is this person? And then (laughs) went down a rabbit hole of your work. But you said in that piece, not getting over it has allowed my mother to remain an active part of my life, even 12 years later. It is impossible to know me without knowing my mother.
1: Funny, that article is what led to Grief is Love. Um, It came out Mother's Day weekend 2020. And for me, it was a particularly hard Mother's Day. You know, obviously we were all in isolation, dealing with early days of COVID. My husband was working on the front lines of COVID. And that also would have been the first Mother's Day when I was really expecting to be a mom. Um, Because that was the Mother's Day that came after our pregnancy loss. And so I, I was writing a ton because I lost so many of my other outlets and coping mechanisms. And I was grieving and anxious and angry and depressed and all the things. And out of the practice of writing to heal came that article. And apparently it resonated with a lot of people because from there, there were agents and TV interviews, and by August, I had a deal to write *Grief Is Love*.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, it was it was it was pretty wild. I am still so grateful to my friend and editor at Glamour, Maddie Khan, um, for that opportunity. Because yeah, it started a whole new trajectory for me.
0: This book that you wrote. Is the gift born out of that awful period of your life, it sounds like. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I really commend and admire how you've spoken about your experience with infertility and your journey to motherhood. I um am also unable to carry a child. I have my second movie called Fitting In, that's coming. Out into theaters February 2nd about my experience with MRKH syndrome. So I uh, was born without a uterus. And oh my goodness. Yeah. At 16, I found out because I didn't get my period. And people can watch the movie and learn all about it. But wow. It's hard to articulate the complexity of going through infertility and dealing with the loss of your mother. And I know you had mentioned that I think it was the same year you lost your mom you learned that you were unable to carry a child is that right
1: It was about a year and a half later but it happened like I found out you know of course the basically the week between her birthday and the anniversary of her passing um yeah she'd been gone at that point for I think it may have even been closer to two years because I was living in DC at the time. And one of the things that feels important to me to talk about, and I'm assuming, given how young you were when you found out, a similar experience for you, like the experience of dating and like getting into relationships where you at some point have to tell someone, by the way, like there's this thing that I know women are expected to be able to do, and I definitely can't do it.
0: Yeah. It's like, if this is, you almost want to like on the first date, be like, if this is what your end game is, it's not me. So like, yes or no.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, in the case with, you know, the guy that I am now married to, uh, I met him almost a year after I found out and I can remember. And even now, like my palms sweat a little bit, like thinking about it, thinking through like, how am I going to deliver this message? Like, what is my strategy going to be? And then it was a couple, it was only a couple weeks in, man, where I can't even remember what he caught, but like he caught on to something and he asked me a question about my health. And like, I just, I opened up my mouth and I couldn't stop talking. And thankfully he was like, Oh, okay.
0: Okay." (laughs) We love him.
1: You know how guys can be sometimes like, it's like the biggest thing. And they're like, okay. And you're like, really? Like that, that's re- That's all you have to say.
0: Yeah. And then they're like, where are we going for dinner?
1: <laughs> yeah. Basically, basically.
0: You're like this thing that is like a foundational piece of my identity. You just completely
1: life changing. And like, here's a snack. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. So, um, thankfully it was not an
0: issue. I'm so happy that you found him and as, I mentioned before, you are a mother. Um, How old is your son now?
1: Uh, He's two.
0: He's two. I love just your Instagram posts about him are so beautiful, but I keep coming back to the both and that Lisa, your mother instilled in you. And I'm just thinking out loud now, but even how you present yourself on social media, it's These beautiful photos of this perfect family, and there is a message of loss and grief and resiliency. And you are sharing your experience with both and to other people on social media, which is such a gift. Because outwardly, if you didn't share the loss and heartache to get to this moment, like It's disingenuous. And that's what I hate about social media.
1: Exactly. Like, I, for me, the only point in sharing my story or pieces of my life publicly is in the hope that it helps somebody else. And if all I show you is the perfectly packaged, you know, backyard holiday Christmas card photo shoot, but not any of the context behind it like, what is the point?
0: I agree. Like
1: then I'm just making people feel bad about themselves for like not having some picture perfect existence that doesn't exist for anyone.
0: Yeah. I similarly, it's weird that my creative expression and professional life and income are all bound up with very personal things that I share with the world through my work. And that's probably something you can. Relate to as well. And people will say, Oh, you're so brave. You're so vulnerable. And those things are true. But like, I don't know how to be any other way. And I think that having faced a series of enormous losses, I have nothing left to lose. The The thing that I feared the most has already happened to me.
1: Yep. No, I mean, 100%. 100%. Agree. I also like trying to hide my pain in my early 20s when my mom was dying. And then after she died, it didn't serve me. Like it led to health problems, both physical and mental, emotional. And I I don't think it served anyone else either. You know, I was young, I was inexperienced, I didn't know what I was doing in terms of navigating grief. And now when I think about all that I've learned, both from that loss and subsequent losses, to not share those things with other people, it kind of makes you feel like, like, what was the point of having to live through all of that? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, like you have to make it, there has to be a point. At least like that is one of the things that helps me. And do I do I
1: also believe that all of the things that have happened... In my life, that have been challenging and sources of grief have led to tremendous growth and healing and, you know, positive personal development, independent of anything I might share publicly. Absolutely. But also, if I want a life that has as much impact and meaning as possible, I think sharing them publicly allows me to expand on that impact and hopefully help as many people as possible.
0: Yes. And Sometimes, do you have moments of like, why me? Like, why? Why?
1: Yes. Uh, this summer was especially hard. Um, for folks who don't know, my mother in law was battling stage four breast cancer. So she was literally dying from the same thing that killed my mom 15 years ago. And while we were caring for her both on the ground in wisconsin and from afar uh one of my cousins went missing and it turned out she had been killed by her husband and i ended up getting very involved you know putting together social media campaigns public engagement managing the media and pr all all of those things and it was it was it was awful. Like, I still get nightmares and have random panic attacks and things related to it. And there were absolutely moments where I was like, Are you, apologies for the language, but like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is completely insane. Like, as though the one thing wasn't enough. Like, now we're trying to do both of these things at the same time. And, and I will also add, this, became the second funeral that I helped my aunt plan for one of her children in three years because we had just lost another cousin from that same family to COVID in fall of 2020. So yes, I get, do I get like that sometimes? Absolutely. And I also, I got like really angry um, because it just, it just felt very unfair and awful. And it, it still does sometimes but a friend of mine who wrote a piece a couple months ago about losing a child, like they lost, she and her husband lost a daughter when she was a baby. Like, I don't like, maybe like maybe one years old, maybe not even that old. I can't exactly recall. And she said, you know, she has absolutely over the years spent time asking like, why did this happen? Like, why did this have to happen to me? And like, why do these horrible things happen in the world sometimes that like we can't control that are just heartbreaking? And the conclusion that she came up with was because they can. Mm. Like, unfortunately, we live in a world where horrible things are happening to people every moment of every day, whether it's the infertility or the loss of a child or the loss of a parent or the loss of a spouse or war or loss of a home, loss of a job, loss of good health, you know. All of the things like they happen because they can. And you can choose to either adopt a narrative around, frankly, you know, feeling sorry for yourself, which we all do and which we all should do sometime. Let's be honest, we're human. (laughs) Or you can choose to adopt a narrative around this is unfortunately just the way the world is like the world is full of grief and sorrow and pain. And it always has been. And some of that is going to land with me and my family. And sometimes it may feel like it's more than our fair share. But at the end of the day, like this is my life and I'm going to live the best life possible under whatever the circumstances are.
0: Yes, yes, yes to all that. I think that's exactly what I needed to hear. And it reminds me of something I actually heard in a 12-step meeting a few weeks ago. Um, and someone shared, why me? Why is addiction happening to me? And the response is, who are you not to have this happen to? Y- you know, you, you are a human. This is part of the human experience. And you are not necessarily better than anyone else to deal with addiction. I had had to put a pause on recording this show for a minute because I was feeling overwhelmed by the collective and global grief of late and just needed to be silent myself and sort of witnessing um, global pain that's going on right now. And this is still an experience that a lot of people are going through. And especially coming up to the holidays, this is going to be released in December. I saw on your Instagram you're doing an event getting into holidays and grief and all of that. So are you able to maybe sh- share a little sneak peek or just in your experience how do people get through the holidays when they're in the acute stages of grief?
1: So uh first of all, I think it starts with what you just said, you were doing um you know kind of taking stock of where you are, and how you're feeling, and what you need, like, that has to be step one. So you said, you know, you were kind of feeling overwhelmed by life and the global grief, you know, everything that's happening in the Middle East right now, like, it's, it's a lot, and it's very, very heavy. And so I think, beginning with a place beginning from a place of how am I, and what what is coming up for me? And what do I feel like I need to do about it? So for me, I definitely am taking a lot of breaks from social media Mm -hmm. because it has felt increasingly toxic lately. So, you know, I'll jump on and post my advice for how to get through the holiday season and, you know, how to deal with your grief. And then I will jump right back out so that I can deal with my own grief.
0: And then you're like, I'm out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, so, so taking stock and being honest about what you need and then, using that information to inform what you do. Some of it is going to be around setting boundaries. You know, just because everyone is gathering for Christmas Eve, if that was your mom's thing and like you just you just can't do it, you know it's going to make you uncomfortable, upset, angry, whatever it is, you don't have to go. So be thoughtful and intentional about your boundaries. Be equally intentional about accessing care. So when I feel overwhelmed and exhausted just by life or by grief, I try to do something to just care for myself. Whether that's an extra long Peloton ride, um, I'm a big fan of silent retreats. Uh, you know, they're they're often an inexpensive way of taking care of ourselves and just creating a little bit more space in life. I'm also a big fan of therapy. I talk about it a lot in Grief is Love. It has absolutely been an important tool for me as I work through all of the grief and loss in my life and in the world. I am also a big fan of joy and figuring out for you, like, what does that look like? Sometimes joy comes through taking care of ourselves, through getting enough rest. Sometimes it's the ridiculous bro movie that I mentioned. (laughs) Sometimes it comes in just having a laugh with a good friend. You know, it can it can look like whatever you want it to look like. It doesn't have to be this big, extravagant, expertly planned, fancy thing. But I always encourage people, even in the midst of the worst, to leave room for joy to show up and surprise you. Another thing that has been important to me over the years, but I will say in the immediate aftermath, of my mom's death. Like I couldn't do this yet. But now that I am further away from it, it's become really important to find ways to include her in our holiday celebrations. And, and you know, this year we're both going to be trying to do that for my mom and now also adding Matt's mom and like his family traditions to the equation. Yeah. So it's 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 not easy, but you know, finding your own way of bringing them into your holiday celebrations and maybe even including them in some of the joy you experience. And then lastly, and and I suggest this because it was something my mom was really good at and it is something that is supported by research and data. When you are struggling and you have a little bit of energy spending some portion of that energy doing something in the service of someone else, yes, it is known to trick your brain and it makes you feel better about whatever it is you're dealing with. And so remembering that, yes, there are these larger global forces at play that we can't impact, but there are also people in our own communities who are suffering greatly right now. And so what can you do for them? You know, one of the traditions that I talk about in grief is love that started probably five, six years after my mom passed away, my husband and I began hosting this holiday party called tacos and baby Jesus, because (laughs) who doesn't like tacos? And, you know, technically Christmas is about baby Jesus. And we just thought it was funny to call him baby Jesus. And we would make three different kinds of tacos, you know, decorate the house completely over the top we would ask people to wear holiday costumes. So it could be anything from somebody showed up dressed up as the war on Christmas because she thought it was funny oh my and like God. a little fun. Uh, one of our Jewish friends, somebody else came one year, like a grown six foot four, six foot five, like male adult, somehow found at a thrift store like a onesie, like the kind of like pajama onesies that my kids still wear sometimes, you know, that was red and even had like a name embroidered on the butt. Like like we would do stuff like that. We'd give out prizes. We would collect food for um, the local food bank and just like had this moment that was absolutely rooted in my mom and who she was and her memory, but also rooted in my own healing, you know, giving me an opportunity to experience joy and community and love And give back. And so I I just encourage people to kind of, you know, find your own way, but let it be rooted in what you really need. And don't feel bad about whatever that is. Like this Christmas may be a Netflix couch crying into your hot chocolate kind of affair. And like, that's okay too.
0: That was a masterclass in like, Ninety seconds, that was incredible. And I couldn't agree with you more in terms of service, and that's a huge foundation of twelve step work as well. And it is the foundation of my sobriety is rooted in service. And when I am feeling most um, sad, despairing, et cetera, the antidote is reaching out to someone else because, they may need to hear from you more than you need something. And without fail, it always takes me out of whatever I'm in. Do something. like I'm sharing this not to pat myself on the back, but a few weeks ago, I was getting a coffee at Starbucks and I was really locked into listening to NPR and hearing about The Middle East and just feeling despairing. But I got out of my car and there was a man on the corner with a sign. And I just said to him, Do you want a coffee? And he said, Sure. And so I got him a coffee and a muffin or something and I gave it to him. And he looked at me and he said, Thank you so much for opening yourself up to me. And it was the most beautiful response. Oh my God. And I'm only sharing that because our eyes can be closed to people who are right in front of us who need something. And it was just such a reminder that I can't solve what's going on in the worlds, but there are things I can do that are right in front of me and that can affect change locally. That's the only thing I come back to is what can I do now here in my circle of people in my community um, and the piece on social media, I think is crucial. I just finished a book called digital minimalism by Cal Newport, um, which ironically I rented on the library app and Sack, my fiance was like, you do realize you're reading digital minimalism on a digital device. I'm like, yes, I'm aware. But the more time I spend away from social media, the happier I am. And I think there's a distinction between. Pleasure and joy. And social media gives us this.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: Dopamine hit and this sense, I guess, vaguely of pleasure that is not joy. And I think when you step away from social media into the quiet and look up, you are allowing space for joy to enter, whatever that looks like for you. 100%
1: like could not agree more. And I will say on the digital minimalism piece, uh, I think, I do think obviously your fiance is funny, but what I will say is I, and I don't, I wish I could remember where I read this, but somewhere some years ago I read, you know, there isn't anything wrong with our smartphones, but we are enabling them to be smarter than us by maintaining an addiction to, all of these apps, you know, namely social media. Like what what we need to do is use these tools when we actually need them. You know, so like listening to an audiobook or you know reading it on a digital app or whatever, like that's great. And then put the phone down. Mm -hmm. Like we are tethered to them in a way that is not healthy. And social media absolutely provides this weird dopamine rush. And the other thing that I think about Often with social media, and I'm always quick to share with younger people now that I'm like an old forty something, um, is whenever you are not paying for something, you are the product. And so being mindful of the fact that you know Instagram was not created for us to become friends. Have I made friends with people via social media? Absolutely. Like real genuine offline and online friendships for sure but that is not the purpose of that platform. Like the purpose of that platform is to collect information and sell things to people. Like that that's what they do. And so I think it's just really important to remember that.
0: Absolutely. And I do think, you know, even though this is a podcast about loss, I do think this digital minimalism is important in the conversation with grief, especially as we come up to the holidays and I'm saying this out loud to remind myself that it may be a time for you to just unplug a little bit because it can be emotionally self-flagellating and um you know I'm I'm guilty of that myself on the topic of joy can you share a few things that bring you joy you mentioned Pro movies occasionally but like music or people or a book or
1: yes 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 um uh something
0: that you said
1: earlier about the 12-step program and like the ego I love the writings of Thich Nhat Hanh um, yes. if you're not familiar with like a huge huge fan I love I love a good romance novel I love Jasmine Guillory like her books absolutely got me through pregnancy loss and I just think she's a phenomenal and super fun writer I love Beyonce I was fielding calls from the investigators in Georgia connected to my cousin's case from the Beyonce concert at MetLife Stadium this summer whoa because there I mean I almost didn't go to the concert and my husband was like there's nothing else for you to do like you have to recognize that. Like and giving up Beyonce tickets at the last minute, like that's crazy. Like he was like somebody might actually kill you for doing that. Like that's insane. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I love Beyonce and I'm very grateful. I have passed that love on to my child. He loves a Beyonce dance party. I'm trying to do a better job, making sure he only listens to the clean versions of songs now that he can repeat lyrics and is very good at memorizing them. Um, So Bennett is like a consistent source of joy. Also, you know, a source of frustration because he's a toddler, but mostly joy uh, watching him learn and get excited about Christmas and have his own opinions on things. And, you know, like he knows his favorite Christmas songs. He knows he loves Beyonce. He thinks that she's his girlfriend. Like it's a whole thing.
0: Move over, Jay.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's not. Like I I literally said to him one day, so you know, what about Jay-Z? And he said, Who? <laughs> I said, Okay, okay, that's right. Why would you know who Jay Z is? <laughs> like, okay. Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, like who? I was like, okay, all right, good, good. Um, confidence is not an issue for that child. So yeah, those are some of the things that bring me draw. I also love. Uh, I love good food. Um, I love a good quesadilla, which is like so random and ordinary, but makes me really happy.
0: If you had to listen to one Beyonce song for 48 hours straight, what would it be?
1: Right now, it's Church Girl from the Renaissance album. Yep. Um, but I also love some of the Destiny's Child stuff from back in the day, man. Yeah, I mean, I we we go way back. Way back. And apparently now we're going to be related because she's my son's girlfriend.
0: Maybe her kids, you know, like they're similar. The the young ones are probably not that much older than Bennett. Exactly. So there's hope. So I'll keep you posted. (laughs) Please do. I saw Destiny's Child at PNC Art Center in New Jersey.
1: Oh my God, stop. That was like my concert venue when I was a kid. No way. Because for some reason, yeah, it makes, honestly, it makes no sense. But for some reason, like that venue felt sort of safer for high school kids than Madison Square Garden, which I'm like, was it really though? Like, Was it? I don't think
0: so. They were in full like cowboy hat matching outfit era. It was probably the best concert I've ever been to. Are there a few resources related to grief that you can point to for people? Obviously grief is love. Everyone must buy it, must read it. It's obviously it's a necessity in, in the old grief collection. Anything else?
1: Thank you for selling my book. Um, So grief is love. I also I have a series on uh, a well-being and mindfulness app called Ritual. That's like a short grief series focused on healing and joy. I also like for for me personally, there are a few people who I follow and have had the opportunity to connect with that I think are great when it comes to all things grief and loss so Michelle Horde, amazing, amazing woman who lost a child. Uh, Rob Delaney, I have not read his book, but I've heard amazing things about it from people who I trust, so I will recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, Rabbi Stephen Letter, I think is how you say his last name. Like he's got a couple of really good grief books. Um, the Beauty of What Remains, I think, is the most popular one. Claire Bidwell-Smith, who I'm doing my grief holiday grief session with uh this coming friday my favorite book on grief that i didn't write especially for those who are in like early grief is joan didion's a year of magical thinking i just think it gets at the heart of the disorientation and absolute devastation that comes in the immediate aftermath of the loss
0: i think that book came out around the time my mom died, but I... I was going
1: to say that, yeah, because it came out before mine died.
0: I remember flying back from Dublin airport and picking it up at the bookstore, flying back from her funeral. So like the timing of that book, uh, I mean, it was maybe too soon to read it. Like it, it was too close, but absolutely incredible. I'm going to compile a list of all these resources that you just shared. And I will put that in the show notes and or post it on Instagram for people to have resources over the holidays. Um, With that, Marissa, we have gone through a lot to record this. Uh, Technical difficulties, my computer freezing, you being sick. Thank you for putting up uh, with all of this and for reminding me that I was not recording the Zoom at some point, so associate producer, I could talk to you for many, many more hours. This is truly just like the tip of the iceberg in terms of your work and your knowledge. So I really encourage people to seek out Marissa's work, the book, the ritual app, where can people follow you online?
1: I am Marissa Rennelly everywhere. So my website, Instagram, Twitter, I've not gone down the TikTok rabbit hole yet. Um, but you can find me as Marissa Rennelly wherever you get your content.
0: Amazing. And one last thing. If your mom, Lisa, were to text you today in this moment, what would she say to you? Oh, jeez.
1: I know exactly. I knew exactly what you were going to ask. I know exactly what she would say. Um, And I'm saying, oh, geez, because I know I'm not doing the best job at it. Uh, But she would want me to rest and take care of myself in this season.
0: I think she would say just based on what you shared about her, she would have you put on your nicest set of loungewear and rest.
1: I know. I know. I need to get myself together. So I'm going to work on that.
0: Marissa, thank you so much. You are incredible. And I think people are going to get a lot out of this. I certainly have. So just selfishly, I'm thrilled I got to talk to you.
1: Thank you. This was great. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm glad we were able to make it work.
0: Me too. Just a reminder that if you like the podcast, or frankly, even if you hate it, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This helps boost ratings and make sure that people can come across the podcast who may need it. As always, I really appreciate all of your support and would love to hear from you and what you think. And I'm sorry you're here, but glad that you are. Thanks, friends. Love you.